Good evening, everyone. The conference's cycle this past spring brought to our attention that the next great revelation to impact human consciousness is the will is an expression of the law of sacrifice. Discipleship in the New Age, Volume 2, informs us that this second point of revelation is concerned with the need to make holy or to render whole the astral or emotional nature of humanity. It's been said, too, that this idea of making substance holy can be understood as relating to the redeeming of substance. And in connection with this second point of revelation, specifically astral substance. With these ideas in mind, it might be useful to give some closer attention to what the process of redeeming astral substance might look like, recognizing that it has much to do with the right handling of emotions. A brief consideration of the fourth law of the soul or of group life, the law of repulse, should give us some insight into this process. Since this second point of revelation is concerned in part with the divine will, let's pause and say the following mantra. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Not shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Oh. <clears throat> The word repulse conveys the idea of rejecting or rebuffing something. As a simple example, some people might say that the thought of eating a certain food is repulsive. This food item is considered undesirable, and the idea of eating it is completely rejected. The Tibetan indicates in his comments on the law of repulse in Esoteric Psychology, Volume 2, that an application of this law is a deliberate attitude taken toward that which is not desirable. It's pointed out that this law is used by the disciple to reject the not-self, the personality, in an effort to know one's true self more fully, the soul, or on a higher turn of the spiral, the spiritual triad. Considering the disciples' experience, this rejection of the not-self first manifests as letting go of identification with the personality in support of increased identification with the soul and its nature. 
through use of the spiritual tools of discrimination, dispassion, discipline, and decentralization, that which characterizes personality-centeredness, is gradually identified and rejected. This rejection of personality identification also involves application of the law of repulse. The disciple demonstrates this law's expulsive power in connection with refining the idea held about his or her true nature. And this refining process comes distinctly to focus in relation to the emotional vehicle. It could be said that for most disciples, the refining of the emotional vehicle is particularly challenging. Yet, establishing a sufficient, a sufficient degree of mastery of the emotions is understood as essential for the second initiation to be taken. Offering support to this, it's pointed out by the Tibetan in the Rays and the Initiations that it is this second initiation, quote, which faces so many aspirants today, end of quote, with its requisite demonstration of the control of the formidable emotional nature. What might this experience of repulsing or rejecting in connection with the emotional vehicle look like for the disciple? With this question in mind, consideration of a brief example might help. Please know too that there are probably countless examples that could be given. So imagine, if you will, a person who is experiencing a feeling of irritation with some environmental factor. This feeling of irritation might relate to the actions of another person or simply to an unfolding situation. Maybe things aren't going as smoothly as the person had imagined they would. Nevertheless, because of developed skill in being dispassionate, the disciple perceives the feeling of their irritation being registered by the emotional vehicle and recognizes that it's related to the unfolding circumstance. Then, exercising right discrimination, the choice is made to detach from the feeling and to not identify with it, because it's understood that the true self doesn't entertain such an emotion. By doing so, the feeling of irritation is then deliberately rejected. It is repulsed. The disciple's thinking in connection to the circumstance is redirected and deliberate effort might be made to elevate thought in some manner. Students in the arcane school are introduced to the technique of thought substitution, where a personality-centered thought is substituted with one that is of a higher quality and more true to the soul's nature. So in relation to this example, the disciple might turn attention instead to how the good of the whole a soul-centered characteristic can best be served in spite of possible situational challenges. Of course, there are many other ways that this repulsing of a feeling of irritation might occur. It might, for example, simply take the form of the disciple thinking to him or herself, 
I reject this feeling of irritation. It has no place in my house of being. The great need though is for sufficient dispassion and discrimination to be present so that the personality inclination to react emotionally is promptly identified and the choice made to adjust behavior. The observer perspective is very effective toward developing the skills of dispassion and discrimination. Through use of this perspective, an emerging personality inclination to react is like a red flag or a warning sign quickly registered by the disciple. Appropriate action is then promptly taken. Clearly, it takes time to develop emotional mastery, and the disciple is called upon to move forward with care and deliberateness from that point in the process where he or she may be at. Members of the new group of world servers will have likely achieved a satisfactory degree of mastery of the emotions. These servers must be capable of registering impressions from the soul and are thereby made sensitive to how they can best serve the unfolding hierarchical plan. Since the process of thoughts impression can be compromised if the emotional vehicle is disturbed, it makes sense that a fair degree of emotional mastery will have been attained by them. It's possible as well that these servers have understanding of how to repulse and reject those emotions that might somehow diminish their sense of purpose. Even though some of them likely have no conscious awareness of the soul, they nevertheless have a strong enough connection with that which is higher to respond to the soul's impress and are perhaps even sensitive to the laws of the soul. So while some members of the new group of world servers have no conscious awareness of the law of repulse, they nevertheless intuitively respond to it and repulse that which is undesirable as needed. These servers function through all of the designated fields of hierarchical service. And many no doubt work behind the scenes in their serving capacity. It seems probable too, that some of these workers are serving on the front lines, so to speak, and may have high profile positions through which they press forward with their serving objectives. In connection with the idea of right handling of emotions, and repulsing that which is undesirable, it might be interesting to take a brief look at recommendations recently made for leaders in the business community about how to effectively manage emotions. It would be useful to keep in mind as well that there are no doubt members of the new group of world servers in the business community and that they could be associated with any number of hierarchical service fields, such as finance, science, or those associated with health and healing. These recommendations for business leaders appeared in an article called Three Ways Successful Leaders Manage Their Emotions, published in Forbes magazine earlier this year. 
it appears that a few correlations can be found between them and approaches of a more esoteric nature. First, it's pointed out that successful business leaders practice what is termed acceptance. These leaders don't allow themselves to get frustrated by situations they can't control. The recommendation states, quote, be a stoic. Don't react emotionally to events and circumstances out of your control. This recommendation might be seen as relating to dispassion and the pragmatic approach of the esotericist. Another recommendation is termed reappraisal. The article indicates that effective business leaders exercise discrimination in choosing the meanings they assign to circumstances, events, and experiences. For example, instead of looking at an event in a negative way, they strive to take a more positive approach and look for lessons that can be learned from a situation or ways of improving performance. This recommendation might be seen as relating to the esoteric approach that looks for deeper meanings to the outer appearance of things. So it would seem, based on just these first two recommendations considered, that seeds of truth and of the ancient wisdom are in some measure embedded within them. Should effort be made by business leaders to apply just these two recommendations for effective managing of the emotions, contribution would surely be made, although they may have no awareness of this occurring toward making holy humanity's astral vehicle. In relation to right handling of emotions, fear is sometimes described as one of the strongest emotions that can govern an individual's expression. This fear appears to come to focus for many people in a fear of death. Very interestingly, the Tibetan describes in a, in a treatise on white magic how the power given to fear, quote, is enormously aggravated by the thought form we ourselves have built of our own individual fears and phobias, end of quote. It's added that the thought form then grows in power because of attention given to it, demonstrating the idea, once again, that energy follows thought. Those who play a part in the new group of world servers aren't immune from registering fear. They perceive it just as keenly as might any other individual, that yet they are vigilant of this emotion. And when they recognize it beginning to emerge into their experience, they likely reject it as quickly as possible. They strive to prevent fear from governing their expression because they know that this could then compromise the purpose they feel committed to fulfilling. As an example, it seems possible that there are some of these workers who are serving in Ukraine at this time. It's hard to imagine the fear they might sometimes experience as they face the many challenges of their circumstances with the threat of form destruction always upon them. Yet in spite of this fear, these servers are committed to the group objectives they feel compelled to support. They are dedicated to their sense of offering support to a greater good. And as a result, they likely reject the feeling of fear as it may arise 
they repulse it. It's pointed out by the Tibetan and esoteric psychology that the esoteric symbol for the law of repulse is the angel with the flaming sword. The connection of this vivid symbol with rejecting fear or any other undesirable emotion can no doubt be quickly seen. In the context of this consideration, the angel can be viewed as wielding the sword in order to keep the elevated and illumined consciousness safe from what doesn't belong there. While this symbol conveys a feeling of strength, power, and the exercising of the spiritual will, all indicative of the first ray energy that characterizes the law of repulse, it is also an expression of love, the ever-intensifying love for that which is higher. The Tibetan states that the law of repulse is a demonstration of the law of love and that it is fundamentally concerned with the soul and with furthering, quote, the spiritual interests of the true self. The passage goes on to say that the law of repulse facilitates rejection of, quote, the undesirable in order to find that which the heart craves and thus leads the weary pilgrim from one rejection to another until with unerring choice, he makes the great decision, end of quote. Thus, in bringing these ideas to a close, it makes sense that we strive to be vigilant in our effort to rightly handle the emotional vehicle. It makes sense to apply that persistence, endurance, and continuity of effort emphasized in the recent full moon talk, promptly rejecting that which is undesirable through application of the law of repulse. As we do this, the potential is present for potent service to unfold through our for potent service to unfold through our group effort to make holy humanity's collective astral vehicle. So we will now move into our meditation. Strengthening the hands of the new group of world servers. Stage one, group fusion. I am one with my group brothers and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Stage two, alignment. We recognize our place as a group within the heart center of the group of world servers. Mentally extend a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart center.
to the Christ, the heart of love within the hierarchy. toward Shambhala, where the will of God is known. Stage three, higher interlude. Hold the mind focused for a few moments on the planetary role of the group of world servers mediating between hierarchy and humanity responding to hierarchical impression and meditating the plan into existence.
Stage four, meditation. Reflect on the seed thought through the impression and expression of certain great ideas. Humanity must be brought to the understanding of the fundamental, fundamental ideals which will govern the new age. This is the major task of the group of world servers.
stage five, precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good, essential love throughout the planet from Shambhala through the planetary heart, the hierarchy, through the Christ, the group of world servers, through all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world. And finally, through the hearts and minds of the whole human family. Stage six, lower interlude. Consider the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in the world through members of the group of world servers. So building the thought form of solution to world problems.
Stage seven, distribution. As the great invocation is sounded, visualize the irradiation of human consciousness with light and love and power. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Oh. With our meditation now complete, everyone, we have an opportunity as a group to reflect a little more on this idea of right handling of emotions and the law of repulse. 
Some questions for reflection were provided earlier. The first one saying, what are some strategies that have worked for you as an individual toward right handling of the emotional vehicle? And the second one, what do you see as possible challenges that the individual and group might face as they strive to assist in the purifying of humanity's collective astral vehicle? So again, everyone, we have an opportunity right now to think as a group on this idea of handling emotions, which we know must be which we know must be so challenging for people throughout the world during this time of transition. So any comments, ideas you might have about um, this idea at this time would be most welcome. And Michael, I see that Santana Star has raised a hand. Hello, can you hear me, John? Yes, I can, Santana. Okay, listen, thank you very much for that wonderful presentation. Um, I was, that's helped me is movement. Um, like dance, singing, working hard, gardening, physical exercise to clear emotions. But another thing is reciting mantras. And in the Treaties of White Magic, Rule 10 has a lot of, um, uh, gives a lot of guidance as to how to control the emotional body. An example would be if you were really in fear you would have a triangle between your personality, your soul and the master, and you'd bring that energy, the white light down through the bodies. Um, the mantras that come to mind, uh, page 308, white magic, know thyself to be the undying one. Um, and also may the holy ones whose pupils we aspire to become and also the mantram of the disciple, and of course the great invocation. I found all those really helpful. And also the balanced breath, same number of breath, breath beats to the breath in and out, gets rid of fear or anger. And then in esoteric healing, the triangle for imperil um, helps to clear negative emotions and that goes from the solar plexus to the head to the heart so the emotions are transmuted as far as group work working um, to clear the huge emotional body of humanity i think it's difficult not to be too empathetic whether you're working well i think it's also important to always realize you're in a group doing this work, even if you appear to be by yourself, um, you're a member of an unseen group, but to be too empathetic is a challenge that I know personally I've faced and to just try to raise the consciousness up to the soul 
and also to visualize the planet, the Triangles Network, the World Goodwill Energy, and even to see the planet in a beautiful, in a beautiful um, sphere of blue light, blue healing light around it. So anyway, there are some of um, the ideas that I have. So thank you. Wow, Santana, thank you so much. Um, you've provided um, a lot of um, 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 additional insights for us here. Um, and truly um, the material on handling emotions in a treatise on white ma magic is just um, tremendously helpful. And there's quite a, a lengthy section on the handling of fear in that text. Yeah. So thank you for reminding us of that. And I think it's the point you made about how we are always a part of a group that is just so true. Even if we live by ourselves and feel that we are alone with our thoughts and with our actions, the group connection is nevertheless present. And so the, how we handle our, the emotions we might be experiencing at that time um, is very important because the group impact is real. Um, and I'm reminded of a talk that was given um, not this past year, but the year before, I believe, um, where um, it was provided in the comments for reflection for the conference's theme that when one of us chooses to handle an emotion rightly, that will have an uplifting effect on the whole. So the individual lifts up the whole and the whole concurrently lifts up the individual. So thank you for reminding us about our group connection at all times. Have we got any other thoughts about this? And please don't feel bashful about sharing aloud. Um, some of us are more comfortable with that than others, but just think of the group connection that we all have right now and um, all comments are welcome. Hi, John. Um, Hi, Michael. Speaking about the group connection, I just wanted to comment briefly on um, I guess from what my perspective is the real purpose of the law of repulse, I think the objective to um, purify or to handle rightly the emotional vehicle is, is a good one, but it's really, and it, certainly an, appro an appropriate focus of the talk, which I think was very good, by the way. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, but I think it's important to keep in mind that the purification of the emotional vehicle, the right handling of the emotional vehicle, is really an intermediate, intermediate objective. The right objective really being to establish a right relationship. And in esotericism, what we talk about when we mean right relationship is not just, it is right human relationship, it's the right relationship between individuals, of course. It's a relationship between groups of people, between nations, between peoples. Um, 
but it's also more than that. It's a relationship, right? Relationship between the soul and its mechanism in the three worlds, whether that's the soul of a nation working out through the policies and the culture of a country, or whether it's the soul of an individual working out through that individual's life expression in their, in their daily work. But this law of repulse, the idea of repulsing out from the vehicle that which is unwanted, the, the real purpose is to establish that right relationship between soul and form and between, um, and between other, other selves, between other, other reflections of the one soul. And I think Absolutely. what, um, what you just recently mentioned about the group being the, um, a focus for consideration, the highest expression of the, of, of we, from one perspective, if we think about what's the highest highest expression of right relationship is group initiation. It is a group, first of all, coming together, united with the soul for some form of service. And that group actually, the group itself actually being a vehicle for very high spiritual energies, higher than what any singular individual could ever bring about. So that's actual actual group service is groups bringing forth this energy that as an individual would be entirely impossible. We know these groups are very novel and even the group that Tibetan organized in discipleship in the new age volumes one and two did not quite reach this high goal. Um, And so not just, and that's just the starting point of group initiation really. And so we can hold that as our, as we reflect on the law of repulse, really that being the, the ultimate goal. Thank you. Thanks again, Michael, um, for your uh, clarifying comments. Um, and they have really helped us to expand our thinking in relation to this topic. Um, so again, thank you so much. And it looked earlier that there was a hand that was raised, but it seems like it is now gone. Um, but again, everybody, if you would like to share a comment um, with the whole group out loud, please feel free to do so. Um, please don't feel timid. And I see um, that John Horan has raised a hand. So um, thank you, John. Wanted to say a very much needed subject at this time. Santana Starr was so helpful with her offering of a panoply of different methods to be used by different times. And that we all swim in the same seas. And to remind us that fear is the great illusion. And anything that I can do in my own sphere, within my own group, reaches out and touches all. I thank you for the opportunity to share. And John, thank you for your comment. Um, the, um, we had a little bit of a, a dicey connection there um for a few moments but um so we missed a little bit of what you said at least i did um but um certainly um the right your comment about fear is just so well taken and thank you for that 
And I see that there are um, numerous comments coming through the feed here. And going back to one that Fabiana um, posted a short while ago, it states, something that has worked for me is stopping to think if what I feel is true, or if it is of that intensity, those moments of being able to breathe and reflect give me clarity and control. Absolutely, when, we, when there is the effort made to pause and to think about what is being experienced, that helps um, interpret what is being experienced more clearly. And that would be an example of the observer perspective at work. It takes, it takes observation to stop and think about what one is feeling and whether or not that feeling is true or not. So thank you for that comment, Fabiana. And have we got anyone else who'd like to share something um, with the whole group um, out loud? Um, please know again, welcome. Hey, John. Yes. Uh, thank you so much. That was really so clear and so important what you shared with us today. Um, and it just reminded me of a post that we, a quote that we uh, shared on our Instagram page today. So I just wanted to share part of that because it, I think it really coincides with our, th with our theme tonight about how to deal with uh, challenging emotions. And it's from one of the letters that the Tibetan wrote to his group, um, to a woman who was struggling with these very issues from Discipleship in the New Age, volume one. This happens to be from page 506. And I'll just paraphrase part of it. He, he, said, he asked her every day to cultivate um, an inner garden. Probably many of you are familiar with these, um, this particular passages. And so she, this woman built in her mind, in her consciousness, an inner garden that became her refuge and to be used precisely in these times. Because as I said, she was quite emotional and she had a lot of fears and worries over her family, her children and other things. And so he said, um, visualize yourself in this garden, go to this garden, place this garden in your Ajna center. And so raise your fears from the solar plexus where they generally are up into the Ajna center and visualize this beautiful garden as a, you know, really as a point of a peace within your consciousness. And he said, um, um, let your imagination guide you day by day into the steady work of restoration, restoring this garden to order. Um, remembering that the goal is to focus your attention in the region of the Ajna and of the pituitary body, and there learn the power to organize, you know, to really organize your inner life is what he's talking about. When your problems descend upon you, when you're swept up by an ancient habit of thought, that you know to be wrong, but which has as yet a rhythmic power over you, retire into your garden and work there for a short while. In time, make your, 
make you retreat into the secret garden an instantaneous reaction whenever distressed and stay not there for a long time. It will aid you. So I thought that was helpful. Absolutely, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. It's, it's funny that you would say that because the, um, when I was reading about the right handling of emotions and the law of repulse, I was thinking <clears throat> about nature and how if you go out into nature just very consciously, there's something about the energetic forces there that balance out oftentimes um, the overwhelming emotions. And um, I don't know how it works esoterically, but I was trying to think it through. And I was thinking about how um, it doesn't have to be even be an overwhelmed by a negative emotion. You can also be overwhelmed by positive emotions so much so that they leave you, your mind clouded, you know, even mm -hmm. if it's, you know, happiness. Yes. And I think that um, overstimulation, like fundamentally what's happening is there's a, there's a conflict there. There's a conflict, um, you're out of balance. So then the question is, I'm out of balance. Where is the conflict? And then um, for some reason, being in nature helps stabilize the physical body, the emotional body, and the spiritual body and the mental body. I mean, I'm just trying to think, is there one that's left out? And I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of one that isn't affected by it. So I, I kind of, I, I liked that the Tibetan was using this as an analogy, but it's also, of also something physical, physical as well. Yes, yes indeed. Um, May I ask who it was who was speaking just then? My name is Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you very much for that. Um, and Kathy, thank you for your comment as well. And I was smiling as you were speaking because I have read that passage many, many times about the garden. And if you have not by any chance um, read that passage, um, everyone, then please, um, I encourage you to do so. Um, so, Kathy, would you mind mentioning once again um, what page that was on? Maybe not. Well, you can probably see it. In yeah, it's five, page 560 from Discipleship in the New Age, Volume 1. Thanks, Kathy. Um, and I see a hand raised here by Lois. Um, can we hear what Lois has to share? Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, we can, Lois. Um, what about when fear um, attacks while we're sleeping, um, like in a nightmare that is very real? Yes, um, that's a good point. Um, and what we experience um, in the dreamscape in in the dream state can be very 
powerful indeed. What I would encourage one to do would be to first awaken and to maybe reflect upon what was experienced briefly and to maybe take the approach that Fabiana mentioned earlier about pausing to um, think about whether what was experienced was true or not and summonsing in the, the insights of the soul. Um, does someone else have another thought about how to address uh, a potent fear that might be experienced while in the dream state? Uh, this is a story about two students who were sharing an experience that they had. One of them had an experience in the dream where she was in danger of some sort. And she started to use the ohm. And the effect was so stupendous. And she described how like fire appeared, spread through the whole environment and vanquished that which was threatening. And the whole experience just was continuing and she was just observing it. And she woke up in the morning with the experience very clear in her mind. Usually when she dreams, she doesn't remember it. So she was trying to share it with another student that she had experienced the power of the ohm in a dream. It was just amazing, magnificent, powerful. Mm. And she was so anxious to portray that which she experienced in the dream to the other disciple. So she finished by telling the disciple, the other student, so whenever you are in trouble, perhaps as you go to sleep, just take a moment or two and tell yourself, should I experience something frightening in my dream, I shall use the ohm. So just before you sleep, like conditioning yourself. Thank she you. said the next morning, the student she was speaking, she had spoken with, woke up excited. What happened? The student had a dream where that student saw this lady in trouble, like drowning or 
something, something terrible was happening to her, being attacked by many people. And then the students started sounding the ohm. And it was simply miraculous. So now she tells the student, okay, now it's no longer a story I told you. You had experienced the ohm. We say the ohm all the time. We take it for granted, but when the two of them experienced this ohm, perhaps on the astral plane, at least upwards, it no longer became just a sacred word. It became a word of power. Mm -hmm. So perhaps <laughs> we may all try that. And okay. as we go to sleep, we may just take a moment or two and tell ourselves that should we experience in a dream, frightful or where some help or aid is needed in a certain circumstances, we should remember to sound the O. Hmm. I have a hard time. And as um, many people uh, begin to experience it, it will become a group heritage and a gift to the world. The Tibetan says that, that the secret of the fire lies in the second letter of the sacred word Om. Thank you. Um, I have a hard time waking up from, <clears throat> from a dangerous dream. I mean, I'm watching it. I know it's going on, but it's hard to wake up. So you think if I could practice the OM uh, during my wake time, that then I would, it would work when I'm asleep? I think so. Mm -hmm. But telling yourself before going to sleep that I shall say the OM in my dream. I will sound the OM in my dream should any circumstance appear in which there is a need for help, aid, strength. As you say that to yourself, you are conditioning the mind and the subconscious to pick it up. And sooner or later, it will happen to you and it become a reality. I was swallowed by a snake. It was really horrible. It just felt like I was really being attacked in my sleep. Yes, yes. Um, I think, Lois, that as um, Emmanuel has provided us with a very powerful tool for addressing that kind of potent fear, which can at times occur for people in the dream state. Um, and I say that because I know of people um, in my close at hand world who at times experience um, great fears 
uh, in the dream state. So yes, I think that the practicing of um, the recommendation that Emmanuel gave us, the use of that potent word of power, the Om, can truly um, um, would would very likely be of of help, and so hopefully um, this recommendation will um, ease you from any further um, distress you might experience in a dream. And at this time, everybody, I want to thank you so much for your participation. Um, this has been a, a powerful meeting and all of the comments are most appreciated. As we look ahead to upcoming meetings, I see that the full moon meeting for um, Libra is occurring at October the 9th. Um, and so we look forward to that. And unless, Michael, there's any further comment, then our meeting will be brought to a close. Thank you, everyone.